Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams and Tea Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, we are, of course, coming at you with a brand new episode talking about two brand new releases. We're going to be talking, of course, about another podcast staple artist, somebody who's been with us since the very beginning. We've got to cover their entire career trajectory up until this point, save for a little stuff there at the beginning. But we're talking about the newest (laughs) album from rapper Backwash. We're talking about the new album, His Happiness Shall Come First, even though we are suffering. And in a sort of hardcore week we're also going to be covering the new album by noise rock band show me the body we're going to be talking about their new album trouble the water so it's it's a very sharp (laughs) contrast into last week where we talked about the pop girlies and this week we're talking about it's a big difference angry motherfuckers well it's not even just like that this is loud and aggressive music but it's like all very sort of like left-wing radical loud aggressive music as well like it's from very uh soul glow zealand ardor the that new wave of artists you know that we have always been championing as well and i'm very excited especially to talk about the backwash album because not only is it you know the third backwash project we've covered since uh we covered the, the our very first backwash release on our second episode of our show, but also it is the conclusion of a trilogy as well. So it's oh, going to yeah. be exciting to reflect Sick. on where that trilogy has led us and what this al- new album represents. But we'll get to that. Uh, we've put some great videos out on the channel this week. August and I did a low key, but I think great record club episode on the classic metalcore post-hardcore record the satellite years from the band hopes for bit of an overlooked record but one of those ones where if you're real like into that emo post-hardcore you know early 2000s era is one of those things where it's like you recognize the significance of that album and how massively important it is the way that it incorporates elements of space rock and uh, psych rock even to a certain extent into that metalcore framework is really really inspiring and unique and we had a great time talking about that also i just uploaded a video on friday counting down my 10 favorite modest mouse songs i love doing these top 10 list videos especially because i'm at the point now where if it's a band i really love i can do it fairly confidently without scripting anything and that's what i did and i was really proud with how this video came out super emotional super uh, thoughtful I thought uh, look into some, one of the bands that essentially meant the most to me at a very critical pubescent stage of life and honestly actually just to keep the theme going we're going to be talking about music that meant a lot to me at that stage of life but also that kind of reflects the ugliness of that stage of life in our next record club on one of tricks point never's incredibly pubescent dramatic garden of elite that i cannot wait to talk about but before any of that let's focus on today what we've been listening to in the last seven days jake what have you been listening to well, to sort of continue off of a tangent that we've started uh, talking about is that I have been listening to a lot of Modest Mouse this week. Uh, incredible coincidence yes. that like this just sort of happened to intersect of Riley having this video on the back burner and making it. And I, for whatever reason, just really got the inclination to do a re-listen that I've been meaning to do for a very long time, just because way back in like towards the beginning of last year we actually did a record club episode off of the the lonesome crowded west Mm -hmm. and that was the first time i had heard that album but that wasn't 
the first Modest Mouse record I had heard. Uh, long before the podcast even started, at the recommendation of Riley, I listened to The Moon and, and, and Antarctica first. Uh, and I loved that album, but I hadn't re-listened to it in a while. And I was like, I wonder, I, I liked them, or I at least remembered liking them about the same. So I was just like, oh, might as well listen to them just to see where I come down on it. And oh yeah, the moon in Antarctica, that's a, that's a fucking, whoa, that's a record. Um, I, I, I enjoyed this record even more than I thought I was going to upon revision. Um, all my love to the Lonesome Crowded West, a great sprawling epic disaster record that I, that I love, but the moon in Ar Antarctica is just, it, it's got a bit more of a honed in kind of I won't say it's like a more personal album but it definitely feels like it's coming from a more earnest place I feel like a lot of the stuff on the Lonesome Crowded West is very it's very dressed up in metaphors and stories and stuff whereas Moon in Antarctica is very stripped back and laid bare which lies in stark contrast to how that album actually sounds. The actual like raw sound of this record is something that I didn't fully appreciate the first go around that I had with it. The sort of like layers of occasional like neo-psych that are on this album are just fucking fantastic. Yeah. This is one of the best sounding records of its respective decade. And considering how early it came out in that decade, that's pretty fucking impressive. Um, and of course, Isaac Brock's songwriting is consistently absolutely fucking amazing. I, God, trying to pick a favorite Modest Mouse song before uh, Riley's list uh, was difficult just because I wanted to see if perhaps my favorite, whatever it would be, uh, would end up on there. My favorite before this was probably Bankrupt on Selling from the Lonesome Crowded West, but Ooh. I'd say that my favorite now is either third planet the opening track or the stars are projectors um both of which are stone cold 10 out of 10 songs um go watch riley's video to see if either of those songs make it on that list um but i adore both of those i think one of the most interesting things about uh this album was i i kept listening to it in the sort of midwest emo-ness of modest mouse's sound kind mm -hmm. of really felt like it sort of put itself front and center here at least I, I could hear a lot more of it now that my ears are a bit more trained to that and the more and more I listened to it the more and more this reminded me of another Jake Core classic which is brand new science fiction where both of the <laughs> albums seem to have like a dark almost desert rocky vibe to them that feels like it's exploring this sort of desolate doomy landscape that is occasionally you know the the characters and the songs and mm -hmm. on the album are, are caught between and it's just god this is just one of those beloved records that's just every bit as good as people tell you it is it's obviously it's an album about sort of adolescence and going through like puberty and growing up to a certain extent as well but it's like it tackles that through this like metaphorical lens of like desert landscapes all those sorts of things where like living in like the middle of nowhere essentially or like exploring these sorts of empty spaces that kind of stretch on and on forever and feel like these kind of encroaching tr this kind of inescapable labyrinth of america essentially becomes like a kind of metaphor for for adolescence essentially for growing up it's one of the things that makes that album so 
powerful, right? And like so much of it revolves around like that feeling of lostness and trappedness inside this vast space that you feel so small inside of and you can barely comprehend that all you can do is kind of look up at the stars and feel both even smaller, but also like that's your only way of escaping is by looking up into the sky. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, powerful and beautifully written album it's absolutely astonishing um and, and a total indie rock classic that i couldn't be more delighted to see has really landed and resonated with you the way that it has in retrospect it makes a lot of sense because yeah there's a bit of brand new science fiction in there it's a bit of like phoebe bridge's punisher in there and some of the visual ideas anyway oh yeah what else have you been listening to jake uh well with Hashiwa Jake Desu I've been <laughs> fucking J- J- Japan is not through with me so of course I've been listening to a lot of the same stuff that I've been listening for the past couple of weeks I- I've come across some really interesting curios though I some like uh like occasional records that just don't belong to like bands that I've listened to much of I've listened to stuff like uh Boredom's album Vision Creation New Sun I know a lot of people I know really love that album that's a really great like warm neo-psych album that's just full of fucking immaculate fucking vibes uh really great shit um I listened to shit like I mean of course I've been listening to more Susumu Hirasawa more Shinoringo blah 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 but I also listened to an album called uh Kagiyaki by Masakatsu Takagi and he is a composer um, again, Japanese composers, they just be dropping solo records that are heat. Uh, people might know him for his soundtrack work uh, for the film uh, Mirai, which came out a couple of years ago, which is oh. actually one of my personal favorite animated films. Yeah, exactly. This yeah, this guy yeah. has an album that is 50 songs long. It is two hours long. And I was just kind of like, that's fucking intimidating but it's like it's like a bolded record like the people really love and i looked at it and just like the genre tags on this for something else it's like chamber folk field recording modern classical just tons is, of shit oh this is kagayaki right like this is um, yeah i've had this on my list for ages because this is like one of connor's favorite albums of all time and he's always telling me about like how fucking just masterful it is and it's not usually a sort of thing that he's typically into but it's one of those obvious records that's kind of like bridged a gap for a lot of people that and exposed them to something they had no idea they would have loved so this is interesting to me i've just never carved out the time for it yet even with the kind of genre tags i still didn't quite expect it to be the album that it ended up being and Despite what I've said of it being two hours long and it being fucking two discs, 50 songs, a lot of the songs are paced really, really well. A lot of them are really, really short. Um, But this album's really, really great. And it's because it's such a unique experience. This basically feels like walking through the childhood of somebody who lived in like rural Japan. Like there are occasional bits of field recordings where you can hear like a family kind of like talking. Uh, it's It's got this really unique sort of pastoral 
feeling to it and those sort of bits of modern classical that come up that are just like you know really faint piano motifs or just full-blown like actual chamber folk stuff and sometimes they'll interact like sometimes the 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 characters in the field recordings will actually come to the forefront and do like an actual bit of like folk singing and it's such an overwhelmingly joyous experience it really does feel like you're it feels like you are living in a studio ghibli movie it feels like movies like my neighbor totoro or kiki's delivery service where everything is just so relaxing and light and breezy and it makes this two hours fly by very very quickly it's an album that is still incredibly dense with an immense sort of diversity in terms of its actual sound palette but it's it it all works it never feels like it's giving you whiplash it never feels like it's overstuffed it never feels like it's spreading itself a bit too thin it's all through that sort of connected through line of of feeling like those you know those childhood memories and uh it, it was a really valuable experience i want to spend a lot more time with this record i can see it uh i mean hell it could be a favorite one day but again it is just it's a lot to digest on just one listen and on the note of uh listening to japanese albums that eclipse two hours um i think the biggest thing for me this week was of course that i have uh as riley put it finally begun my fishman's arc uh don't know why it's taken me this long but uh you know some of the most acclaimed releases in the neo-psychedelic and dream pop uh field of music this has been on my radar forever uh and i i won't speak too in depth because all three people here may be involved in a future project where we discuss the discography of Fishman's in a lot more depth. But so I started off by listening to uh, Uchi Nippon Setagaya, uh, their final sort of studio record in 1997. Um, I, I had actually listened to um, Long Season way, way back in 2020. I remember very, very vividly. Um, I was, it was right as quarantine began. Uh, in I was in the sort of phase where I, every couple of days I would drive to our local Walmart and uh, have to wait about an hour to get a grocery order because that was what everyone was doing and how everyone was getting groceries here. Mm. So I would just be in my car for about an hour out of a given day and I would always pick something new to listen to while I was in the car. And I was like, hey, guys, shoot me a recommendation. And then Riley was just like, Fishman's long season and I'm like I've never fucking heard of this shit before sure and I threw it on and it was a, a lovely kind of ambient pop record that I was just like wow this is like really atmospheric and beautiful and it has these absolutely wonderful jazz fusion keyboard tones on it that just make me giddy like a school child so i don't know why it took me this long to keep listening to them because i loved long season and if anything i love it more now that was their sort of penultimate record in 1996 and now i've listened to all of their records save for um the debut chappie don't cry and neo yankees holiday which i will be getting to very shortly but i mean th this isn't exactly a a, a spoiler or anything because we're obviously going to cover their discography but i've more or less loved everything i've listened to from them um kuchu camp 
uh orange uh king master oh, george even gosh. one of their earlier records i took a great life yes um, oh king master george is underrated as fuck i love that album <laughs> it it really is just because like orange is certainly like that's sort of seen as like the first truly like great cohesive statement from the band and king master george is like the furthest thing from that if anything that album is just like it's, it's fucking bug nutty as shit and that's yes. kind of why i really dig it like orange is a better album but i think i get more out of king master george just because they 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 do so much wacky shit that i can't wait to talk about eventually on that record that i just find super compelling and super fun and even in their like least ambitious state when they're doing like you know pop reggae shit they're still doing it with such verve and such like genuine creative talent it's it's just it's mesmerizing shit and so seeing them evolve over the course of their career has been a truly like really satisfying arc to follow and i also of course listen to what is i think the highest rated live album of all time which is their yes, uh album music, yeah. 98 12 28 <laughs> uh the Oda. Odoko Tachi no Wakare uh, performance, which I also watched because that is live on YouTube. Um, and it is a basically two hour long live album that's basically songs from throughout their entire career um, that ends everything off with a performance of Long Season, which is more or less one 40 minute long song. Uh, and this, this is one of the best new listens I've had all year just because there are certain moments in this where like I was at work listening to this and there were just moments where I felt like my knees were buckling. I was just like, Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> Again, can't wait to talk That's about them, <laughs> but this is, an album that deserves every bit of the hype that's ever been put behind it. It's one of those records that feels like it's truly like, it's like um, uh, Stop Making Sense in the sense that it's like, this mm. can only be a live album. Like this mm. just like as a studio recording to accomplish what they do on here, especially with the songs on that second disc, I feel like the live setting is not only like, you know, something that can kind of add to the, the, the vitality of the experience, like hearing live music can be, but it's also something that like when you feel the music just sort of envelop the venue that they're in, yeah. it's, it's yeah. completely spellbinding. It's, it's truly something else. And it conversely, like it made me love long season that much more just because this performance of it does some truly spectacular things. Some fucking Philip glass, Steve Reich shit happens in the halfway point and it's fucking amazing. And then I go back and I'm just like, I do still of course love long season, but it's going to be difficult to not just want to listen to the they, live version. They basically, they basically turn part three of long season. into like a 10 minute drum solo. Essentially. Yes. Oh. Dude, dude, the drumming on every single Fishman's album is fucking amazing. A uh, completely yes. undersold part of this band is just that, like, well, these guys are fucking incredibly proficient musicians from the get-go, even. Like, the guitar solos on Kingmaster George, whenever they pop up, they're fucking wicked they're so good well this is the thing as well like people forget because it's not i guess as fashionable in like online music spaces but they're a dub band they're a funk yeah a reggae adjacent mm -hmm. dub band essentially so the rhythm section is the core 
to their identity as musicians, right? The the bass and the drums are always super present in everything they do. And one of the amazing strengths of that live performance, you know, the whole live album is how the atmosphere of that space gives that bass, those bass and drum sounds so much more impact than they could possibly have on a studio record where everything has to be mastered and yeah. to have a certain you know sound that fits within the aesthetic of the album format basically the, the live album when done right allows you to kind of transcend the limitations of typical record mastering and lets exactly. you create something where the space in which the music is recorded is as equal and important a part of the way it all sounds as the instruments themselves right and how they're played so it's just yeah, it's essential. Yeah. It's the best case you could possibly make for the power of the live album. And I knew I know some live album oh, yeah. skeptics out there, like our friend Zach, for instance, who even he would say that that record adds something and has value that you cannot oh, yeah. just get from the studio recording alone. So it's a great argument for how powerful the live record can be as a document when it's recorded correctly. And of course, when it's a performance and a show that lends itself well um, to that kind of format. And, and I mean, and it's yeah. not even the only great Fishman's live album. Yeah, it's only got, the one no. I've listened to. They have a couple other mm. ones that I have, of course, been told by Jacob and just by looking at, you can mm. tell are essential. I, I can't wait to listen to stuff like the 96 performance or the Shinjuku Liquid Room one, um, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, they're also two hour long, you know, jammier uh, sessions that are just like th th this band pure like a lot of bands even in this avenue can't really make their jammy or stuff as compelling as you know when they're in the studio and when they're more tight and refined i would say that fishman's in that respect in more than just one honestly really remind me of of all things king crimson um mm -hmm. both in the sensibility of how they just sort of evolve their craft for the live album of being this monumental experience that feels like an evolution and sort of a compliment to their work that's already great. And in the sense that you can just sort of feel Fishman's get more progressive as they go on. It's why uh, Uchi Nippon Setagaya is such a fucking spectacular record from back to front. Another one of my favorite first oh. listens um, mm. of the year. I, mm. God, the fucking walking in the rhythm. That's uh, oh. night driving. There's so many great songs that are on these albums. I, I also can't recommend enough that like if you want to gauge whether or not you're into this band or you just want to try them out or if you just want to listen to a crash course of some of their like earlier stuff check out the compilation of uh, blue summer uh selected tracks 91 to 95 it remasters all of the tracks that it picks and it's basically a double album and i think it's kind of like the Sigur ross varfheim where mm -hmm. the first half is studio recordings and the second half is live and this is a stellar, stellar fucking compilation. This is another band where I've been told by multiple people that their compilations, a lot of them, are just as essential as their other stuff, too. And I believe that just because this is a band that, like, 
just by virtue of mixing different songs from different eras of their sound together, you get a unique experience out of that that's more or less supremely valuable in, in any form. So yeah. I'm also downloaded like both of their B-sides compilations that I can't wait to listen to. Just like yeah. I've, I've gone out of my way to do to just like scour the Another... Internet to find everything for this band. And I can't wait to listen to more. And it's funny, at the end of last year, everybody was talking about the Beatles again just because of Let It Be. And that sort of spurred on a kind of um, uh, wave of just like, I just saw everyone on my Twitter timeline talking about the Beatles last year. And it was just like, oh, wow, kind of reinvigorating my love for a band I've loved for a very long time. It's very cool. And a similar thing kind of happened just because we finally, finally got the remaster of revolver uh perfectly timed for us to do our episode on that months before uh it gets the proper remastering but um i i can't i can't complain just because i did go back and i listened to it just because that is one of my sticking points i've gone out of my way to either get the good remasters of beetle as albums or like the most recent one that doesn't have the bad stereo panning and finally my favorite beatles album revolver can join the pantheon of the other records of being uh an album that you can finally properly hear because that uh other remaster the mono remaster is good but it, it you know it lacks the depth of stereo and then you put this on and it just sounds incredible it feels like i heard eleanor rigby again for the first time uh i mean there are bits of yellow submarine in the second half where i was just like damn i'd never really picked up on that part ever being there and even like the really dense tape effect heavy songs really benefit from this remaster and this sort of got me onto a bit of a kick and then i'm just like ah beatles one of the first bands i ever truly loved um great discography full of lots of nostalgic music that i love and I've never properly ranked their albums. So I, I checked a few off of the list in uh, listening to After Revolver. I also listened to Magical Mystery Tour, which I goddamn love that album. Uh, it, yes, it is backloaded, but have you considered that all of the songs on the A-side are also terrific? Uh, shout out to Shitload Blue yes. Jay Way. It's Blue great. Jay Way is one of the best Beatles songs, period. It, yeah, absolutely. Fucking, so is Fool on the Hill, for that matter. You, you get it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that is a terrific album that I love. Uh, Sergeant Pepper, of course, I talked about that before. Uh, and then I I crossed off the sort of biggest obstacle in my way with re-listening to all Beatles albums, and that was of course re-listening to the White Album, just because you know that album it runs a bit long. Uh, you know, the big double album masterpiece of the Beatles catalog. And it has been so long since I listened to this in full. Like ever since I remember torrenting the Beatles discography back in like 2017, where <laughs> like I got like, at, like I remember that I found like a little torrent package that included like the spanish versions that they recorded of stuff and like singles it was it was like it was a super comprehensive download a shame the quality was dog shit but i hadn't <laughs> listened to that since i downloaded those albums and i was just like you know i really don't know what i would think of the white album today just because I think one of the most, like one of the ideas I gravitate towards the most in music is the idea of the masterpiece album. You know, my favorite Pink Floyd album is The Wall. I really loved 
the new Big Thief album this year or and the new Beach House album. I love big, sprawling, messy, ambitious works where all of it manages to to feel like it, it's at peace with itself somehow. And hell, my favorite Beatles related project, Full Stop, is George Harrison's I'm, solo yeah, album. He's going to bring uh, up all things must pass. Yeah, which exactly. Is like so th- this is the, this is like, ideally, I'm just like, oh, okay. This obviously has a bunch of songs that I already love on it. So, you know, maybe this time I'll listen to it and I'll see Division. And the remaster did help a whole lot with that. It's a great sounding record now. Um, I I tried. I really did. Um, I think, and there's no hot takes here. The album's definitely good. It contains a vast proportion of like the the ratio of good songs to bad songs is vastly in the album's favor, no matter how long or short they may be. Um, but I mean, this has classics like Back in the USSR, internal fucking banger, Dear Prudence great song while my guitar gently weeps immortal george harrison cut blackbird maybe my favorite song on here one of paul mccartney's best ballads helter skelter whole lot of fun revolution is on this album and the closer good night is a deeply underrated beatles track but uh i feel like mike the snare when he did his segment on the white album when he was just like you may be thinking, wow, Mike, you're leveling so many compliments at the White Album. You must really love it. To that, I say no. Um, <laughs> and the, the thing is about this is that this encounters an issue where, you know, a lot of the songs are shorter. It's a very well-paced album for being as long as it is. But it has that problem that we often run into on albums we've reviewed on this show where people i think the the argument uh, many defenders of albums like this would say and that i would pose for many records is that you know you kind of have to listen to it as one big thing it's 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 you it, like isolating certain songs is is kind of antithetical to the experience because you know you can isolate and say that wild honey pie is a terrible song but it's sort of meant to be a sort of irreverent interlude between two more significant tracks and i do buy into this but I also think that that's not sort of a, a coverall defense for the fact that a lot of these songs are just kind of fine. Like a lot of them are just kind of okay. And if you wanted to say, well, this isn't supposed to be a singular song. It's just supposed to be this part of the album. And I'm like, well, the part thing about that is that that part needs to be better. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the, thing, <laughs> the thing about the White Album, um, and I say this is someone who has it rated, I think about the same as you do. Um, is that like you what your take is is like absolutely fair game and it's very representative of a very particular way of approaching records and record critique that is very much something we like to engage in on this show but i think that there is also a lot of merit to the argument that the white album is more valuable and even more great for kind of what it represents more than even how good the songs are as maybe oh, much absolutely. of a cop out as that can sound uh it's just yeah. this kind of gargantuan mess and it, the, the big thing i see a lot is you know people saying you know how could we make the white album better by like tuning it down to like a tight 12 tracks yeah and it really misses the point because even if you I do like that, that. 
even if you do that with the 12 best songs, it, it still won't really hang together any better no, than the full yeah. 30 song thing does. And that's the kind of whole thing is that like the White Album, yeah, as an album, it's very flawed. Like it's 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 ridiculously flawed, in fact. And it kind of th- it disregards a lot of what even the Beatles themselves had embraced and laid out as some of the basic conventions of LP record structure. It's like deliberately flying in the face of all of that. But also it's like it's rep- it's kind of a, a physical document and representation of a very like creatively dramatic stage in the in the life cycle of the Beatles a band. It reflects what the band themselves were going through, like the, the ways in which they were fracturing and falling apart. And their subsequent records as well, you know, Abbey Road, Yellow Submarine, Let It Be, you know, as varied in quality as they are, also in their fracturedness reflect that, you know, basic disintegration of the Beatles that basically had already begun by this point. And so like, it's interesting to view those albums as like continual steps in an analog for the disintegration of the biggest band in the world and kind of seeing how these personalities that had once been so unified on records like Help and Rubber Soul and Revolver were kind of like splintering and the ways in which they used to kind of lock together were not happening as well anymore and they were you know the individual voices within them were starting to grow so distinct that they brushed up against each other within the albums in ways that make the records feel like a deliberately a deliberate clashing artifact essentially that is sort of you, you can you know, feel that on the singular tracks because these are yeah. the songs that are like the least blended of yeah, like the they, they sound like the individual the tracks of each performer are being like recorded yes. separately and i don't get the impression that any of these songs are being played live at all they are they <laughs> are so within their own confines it's like when a song is a fucking piece of like classic rock like back in the ussr or fucking um helter skelter uh, helter skelter like those those songs are like wholly dedicated to being perfect sort of emblems of their genres and influences that come from the singular minds of the beatles and in that respect i completely agree with you it's Mm. the white album is an album that maybe is like the most flawed album that i wouldn't change anything about Um, Just because as that document, it is 100% valuable and I find a lot intriguing about it. And it's like many bands, many great bands don't go on to make their mess. You know, lots of great bands never get to make their Fleetwood Max Tusk, you know, and which is the example of this type of record. I think, And you want an album like that from a band purely because you want to see what it's like when they kind of implode a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think we kind of talked about that with Porcupine Trees, the incident where it's just like getting to see them exist outside the, the the realm of like traditional structure is a novelty that's worth it if the musicians are great enough and you know these are four of the best musicians who's ever lived so it's it's hard not to 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 see the vision mm-hmm. with that uh, a little bit even if they kind of did my boy george a little dirty there oh, um, man. which to to, oh, to make up for that fact i actually like George Harrison actually has, in my opinion, a deeply underrated solo catalog, even beyond All Things Must Pass. I actually listened to his self-titled this week, which is a really late career album from him, which is 
terrific. I mean, it's just some great folk pop that you wouldn't really expect to come from maybe the most classic rock inclined Beatle. But it, it, it just it feels like you're getting to hear like all of George's solo stuff is you feel like you're getting to hear the music that has been repressed within a great artist for like 10 years because he just wasn't able to get it out when he was in the Beatles. I think that one of the things that's emblematic of what's so like, you know, sort of clever or at least sort of self-aware about this record, whether you like it or not, is like if you compare the version of Revolution 1 or Revolution on this to the single version of it, it's Mm. like you know they deliberately fucked it up on the album version or they deliberately kind of did it in a way that made it you know i would say objectively weaker even though i still like it because it's a great song they deliberately made it sound like less good in the same way that like you know a band like spoon did with songs on transference where they would deliberately kind of Mm. fuck them up and a lot of uh bands have done that sort of over the years as well where where it's like kind of trying to play with their appeal a little bit right by writing like a perfect rock or a perfect pop song and then just kind of within the studio fucking it up deliberately to kind of ruin it a bit and i'll also say my other white album hot take for as you know just absolutely colossally messy as the album is i actually think the seaside of this record which is from birthday through to long 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 is honestly a really great side of music i mean yes it's got everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey on it and of course it (laughs) opens with birthday which is you know at best a little bit of a throwaway mother nature's son is one of the best songs on the album mother nature's son is great i have a very big soft spot for your blues uh six society is great and my my pick for the most underrated song on the record long 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 which is uh, one of my absolute favorite beatles songs uh wraps up that side as well so it's like yeah there's like stretches on that record where i'm completely invested and if you want to do something very sacrilegious you can do what i've done and swap out the everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey with the cover of that song that the uh, art rock band the feelies did on their album crazy rhythms which is yeah. one of my favorite covers Ooh. ever and is just a, a, immaculately superior to the original and just pretend that it's the best <laughs> but yeah <laughs> I... it's like a it's it's a such a fucked up record and i've always like enjoyed just kind of just playing around with it and just sort of like you know wrestling with it it's a record you wrestle with and it, it wrestles back and like that's just super super entertaining at the very least okay well as for what i've been listening to uh first thing i'll talk about is that uh in the world of music or uh, at least in the world of like faggoty indie electronic music that i am super super fucking you know indebted to uh one of the great sort of it's weird because they're originally like a sophista pop sort of like new wave adjacent band but then in the in the 80s but then in the 90s they made a kind of full tilt pivot into like trip hop and drum and bass and they pulled it off really well i'm talking of course about the eternally beloved yorkshire band everything but the girl uh who i uh, definitely yeah. to be fair even though this band were like right up my alley i didn't really get into them very much until like much lo- later after i had kind of been familiar with their main comparison points which are bands like massive attack portishead that mm-hmm. sort of thing uh but they announced this week uh very excitingly that next year in i think they said in 
um, spring of next year, they're going to be releasing a new album, which will be their first album in 24 years. So wow. Very, yeah. very, very fucking exciting. To me, this band is kind of like the trip hop sweet trip. If I were to sell them in a very succinct way that would appeal to Go on. Um, so I went back this week and I gave a listen to their last album, uh, Temperamental, a record I had heard before, but it'd been a while. Uh, so I put this album on again. This is just, it's a classic. It is one of the best trip hop, down tempo, deep house, atmospheric drum and bass, all those subgenre tags that you would associate with it. It is just one of the best records in that vein. The biggest appeal of this album is that it is immediate. It is not a record that grows on you. It is a record that has fucking hard beats that knock and the the tr- interesting thing about that is because like it's a really hard knocking album but like it's a really relaxing album as well like it's not an album that makes you kind of like you know amps you up and gets you like full of endorphins or whatever they're a really chill band but they're just like a chill band that are really punchy at the same time they're kind of like arab strap in that way kind oh, of crossed yeah. with um portis head um, but yeah, Temperamental is kind of generally regarded as their most beloved album. It's an hour long, but there's only 10 songs. So you get to spend a lot of space in these tracks. And it's very concise and very well paced for a record like that. Uh, the connection, if you haven't heard any of their music before, you may have heard Tracy Thorne, the vocalist who sings on my favorites, Massive Attack song, which is the title track on their album, Protection. She does the vocals on ah. that. And um, so she is, and, and this is a kind of husband and wife band, uh, Tracy Thorne and Ben Watt. And so, yeah, if you want to get into some low-key electronic music with a real sort of like dance background, then I can't recommend their, their records from the end of the 90s enough, especially their last three records, which are all, I haven't heard all of them, but from what I have heard, they're all fantastic. I'm going to make sure I revisit their, basically their entire discography before the new album comes out, because I love Temperamental. It's, it's a stellar record. I can't recommend it enough. Just so fucking beautiful and hard at the same time. So yeah, really excited to see what they pull out with whatever they've been up to, whatever the new album ends up sounding like. It's kind of hard to predict since they've kind of evolved so much or they did evolve so much during their 80s and 90s progression. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, really stoked to hear. It's, it's amazing news and I can't recommend them and that record enough. Uh, and a similar sort of low-key electronica vein i want to again cautiously recommend because i don't think this is a great album and i think that if you're not in the mood for what it offers it probably won't leave any impression on you but a band that i have always been fond of that released one of my favorite electronic albums of the 2000s the band junior boys put out a new record uh the other week they're like kind of like a dark sort of synth pop minimal kind of nocturnal sort of stripped back club bass band and they put out a string of records in the 2000s that really kind of took this sort of ambient pop and fused it with this kind of club sort of minimal house aesthetic and created a really unique sound that essentially like I grew up on and has always meant a lot to me. Their first album, 2004, is the last exit, especially one of my favorite albums ever. 
my definitely my favorite ambient pop record and my favorite record I would describe as ambient pop it's minimal it's beautiful the synth tones are kind of burbling and bass heavy but really warm and there's a real pop sensibility to the best moments songs like birthday songs like teach me how to fight I'll always love that record and the album that came after it as well 2006's so this is goodbye which kind of turned up the pop element a little bit more and made them a bit less minimal and a bit more kind of punchy that feature is one of my favorite songs ever on it which is a song in the morning anyway they've never really dropped off i mean those first two albums are both are definitely their best but every album they've put out since then i've enjoyed to varying degrees especially the very underrated 2011 album it's all true and they're back with their first album in six years which is called waiting game and you know it, this is a strange superlative to give an album but i think this is the quietest album of 2022 like this is an album that like it's it flirts frequently with complete silence in a way that i find really strange and captivating um, and that wouldn't be that unusual if it was kind of like, you know, minimal drone, sort of like straight up ambient sort of record, but it's not. It is an ambient pop record. It has those same sorts of elements that they've always had, but it's so stripped back that at certain points it like barely exists. It's kind of like, it's it's sort of like a white noise as much as it is like um ambient pop music but not like white noise in the sort of like distorted low sense but like it's very pretty it's very pristine it's very stripped back and I've kind of just really enjoyed just sort of laying down and listening to it it's sort of isn't music that matters much <laughs> which I know is a really sound, sound like a really harsh thing to say but sometimes it's kind of like the sort of wallpaper pop that can be that can really provide a sort of like warmth or an additional sort of layer to your waking state that just makes everything feel a little bit sweeter um you know it's not you know there are certain parts of the record that i think could be stronger for what it's doing it definitely starts out with um its two best songs although the last two songs are also really great as well in their own way it's a short album it's 36 minutes um, but yeah, it is a strange record. And if any of the ways in which I've described it appeal to you, you may enjoy it as well. Um, and I would suggest as well, going back to one of their first two records as well, because they are just absolute classics of minimal bass heavy synth pop that I think deserve a bit of a reappraisal. And the last thing I will shout out is, uh, so <laughs> I have been, so obviously a big theme of this, not obviously, because only people close to me will know this, but uh, a big theme of this year for me has been like reading into video games and like getting into my gamer era and all that sort of thing. And just sort of like, um, you know, discovering and reaffirming my appreciation for a form of art that I've ignored for a really long time, mostly out of just kind of fear of not being able to get into it or accessibility or all those sorts of things, all stupid reasons, whatever. So I played a lot of video games this year, really trying to like build up my house and all the video games that I have played so that I feel like I can have, when I have an opinion on a game, it actually means something as opposed to just being, I've played five games. I like this one. Uh, I, I'm trying <laughs> to play as many games as possible this year so that I kind of, from a variety of genres as well, although most of them have been either platformers, puzzle games, or Metroidvanias. Uh, but I have developed a real fondness for Metroidvanias. And 
none are better, at least none that I've played, have been better than 2017's Hollow Knight, which is a very beloved yeah. game. Yeah. Ooh, um, great game. A, a game that, you know, I've come to understand is sort of one of those sort of rare instant classic games along with kind of like breath of the wild and all those sorts of other mm -hmm. exploration adventure games where as soon as it lands it's like you know it's just one of those those games that appears sort of fully formed and just sort of instantly kind of finds a niche in a market that just explodes especially considering it's an indie game right so anyway i've i started playing hollow knight like a month ago i think i'm still i'm very close to 100 percenting it i'm still i've got like 50 hours game. logged on that game at this point uh it's an amazing game uh it's probably my second favorite game that i've played just behind outer wilds um but anyway uh, the thing I want to shout out, this being a music podcast, is the score for this game by Christopher Larkin is stunning. Yes. It's 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 yeah. an incredibly beautiful game soundtrack, and I mean every area within the game, every distinct biome is just very like has its own distinct palette and uh, visual design and all these sorts of things that you would want to distinguish different areas of a game. But also the music is a big part of that as well. And the music distinguishes the different areas of this game and helps so much to elevate and kind of impress the emotional state that those different areas visually and through gameplay also evoke in you because the thing about hollow knight is that a lot of it is sort of taking place in the sort of dilapidated sort of post-apocalyptic you know underground landscape essentially so a lot of the biomes are sort of filled with sort of decay and infection all that sort of thing but there's also a lot of beauty in it as well and so christopher larkin's score for this game really is a huge part of what makes that work as well and so i've been listening to it a lot uh i mean obviously just while playing the game you just end up listening to it a lot as <laughs> yeah. a process of that yeah. but i also have been listening to it outside of that as well i think that you know there's certain tracks on there like the soundtrack to green path and the city of tears and uh the resting grounds and um, some of the boss music as well is just absolutely insane um amazing 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 um soundtrack and like if it's weird to recommend a soundtrack to someone who hasn't like played the game but like check this out even if you haven't played the game and if the music appeals to you you'll probably have a great time with the game whether or not you know metroidvanias slash sort of combat games which this is kind of like a fusion of those two things whether or not those appeal to you or not you'll probably have a great time regardless if you enjoy the music because it does a really great job of evoking what the game is like to play as well so yeah here you know it's a unusual out of character thing for me, but here I am recommending a video game soundtrack on the Jams and Tea podcast. You know, it works beautifully as just a general soundtrack to anything really. And it's a stunning, stunning game that uh, is getting a sequel next year as well, which I'm very excited about. Hell yes. Um, yeah, so yes. Development forever. Yeah. So that is, uh, those are my recommendations for this week. Jacob, as our guest, it's your turn now. Anything you want to shout out that you've been listening to recently? I've been continuing my 1990 quest, if you will. Last time I was on here, I was about halfway done. Now I got one week left, one week's worth of albums. And then after that, I decided, fuck it, we'll do 1990 extras, which is stuff that was either really popular at the time or like stuff that like uh, like stuff that just fell on the radar of the voters and whatnot. I want to shout out a few albums from there that were just like really really good first listens. Uh, first one is John Zorn's Naked City. Yes, I yeah. was 
I was not prepared for the. Like, I saw the genre <laughs> tags on RYM, and I was like, "What is this about? What am I about to listen to?" And then I listened to it, and I just was like, oh, "Hardcore punk versions of like film noir soundtracks." What? Uh-huh. And I loved every thing. minute of it. <laughs> yes, that was amazing. I loved every fucking minute of this thing. Easily one of the best things I had heard, like from the term that I just was not familiar with before. And it's just like reading up on this guy and how he had done so many versions of these where he would just like, like uh, do these interpretations of Ennio Morricone scores. And he, uh, we like started in the experimental music scene. And like there would just be shit that would be like 30 seconds long that was just like a whale of like trumpets and saxophones and guitar reminded me of if y'all remember that band little women that was like they had that one album called throat and it just like starts out like with the most bug nutty jazz shit you've ever heard that was what john zorn reminded me of and i just god like as like somebody you know is into like movie soundtracks into movies in general i was this was a real treat and i loved every minute of it but i ended up not voting for it in the poll because Judas Priest Painkiller, which yeah! is a fucking masterpiece too. Yeah. I like, I, which I had not heard all the way through. I had only heard the title track. And that is also an assault on the ears with adrenaline mm. and energy. And yet I was transcending throughout every single fucking song. I was... Yeah. Oh, that is a fucking album. I just... Like 1990, I think has some, it it was a really strong year for metal, at least like with the uh, albums that have been suggested. The only one I ended up not really liking was Ritual Dilo Habitual. But like most of what I had heard, and that that may be my favorite metal record of 1990, even though I had heard Mm. Seasons in the Abyss and fucking Rust in Peace, all of which are great records. But this was just... This was everything I want from a metal record. Just amazing, amazing riffs with like every every instrumentalist and every member of this band just like at the top of their fucking game. And then when he just like a Rob Halford is just showing off in that first track with like his yep. falsetto as fuck voice, and then immediately goes back down to like his normal voice for the rest of it. And at, at 70 years old today, this man can still fucking sing. I hope to have fucking insane shit. I love that album. And then, like, right immediately after that, I get another strong 9 out of 10 record, Depeche Mode Violator, which I had not heard uh, of. Which is, I mean, that's already one of the most acclaimed synth pop albums of all time. I don't need... You don't need me lapturing like voluptuous praise at it, but I will say that uh, "Waiting for the Night" is probably my favorite song by the band and one of the best songs of its era, in my opinion. Um, but then, but oh God, like, and it was up against like a, an underdog of a record because it was like seed one twenty three versus Depeche Mode's Violator seed number six. It was from a band Ooh. called Killing Joke. Uh, extremities, oh, yeah. dirt, and various repressed emotions. If you want to hear in dust, like, like I had only heard that one song, 80s, which is, you know, like this kind of like really tight post-punk song. So I was thinking, okay, this is going to be another post-punk record. Imagine post-punk fused with industrial metal. 
That is yep. what that Killing Joke record is. It is insane and tight and, oh, it's just so much fun, but also just like, you know, they're writing lyrics about like how they think the world is fucking doomed. So of course, like you're trying hard not to relate to every single lyric, but also you're just having so much fun, like hearing fucking blast beats on an industrial or post-punk song. And I'm just like, who are you guys? Where the hell have you been all my life? So that's a band I now need to check out. Absolutely. Listen to Nighttime. That's an amazing, it's got, that's the album with 80s on it. And that is, Mm -hmm. uh, that's the only one I've heard. Uh, But that was like, that's like one of my dad's like favorite records, which is so funny to me because he's not really that much into a lot of music like it. It's much more sort of in the kind of gothic sort of, you know, post the cure sound sort of thing compared to the noisier stuff later on. But it is like an 80s classic and uh, I think you'd probably really enjoy that especially if you already like the song 80s um, mm-hmm. yeah, night, it's a good song. Nighttime is just a really great record I I, <laughs> I need to like message my dad and ask him like what other Killing Joe records I should listen to because he's the, my only connection to that band weirdly enough yeah, but check out that 19, check out, uh, ex, oh fuck, it's a hard time. Extremities, Dirt, and Various Repressed Emotions. Highly, highly recommended. One of my, again, another favorite discovery, but my favorite discovery of 1990. I have to set the scene for you. No. It is, okay, so most of these albums are chosen by, you know, like most of the participants of this tournament are like Gen X. Like, you know, born in the 70s, and most, and some of them are British. And so, like, you will find a lot of Jangle Pop. Now, I do not mind Jangle Pop as a genre. This is not, I am not anti Jangle Pop, but Jesus Christ, there were so many mid bands that were like trying <laughs> to be the Smiths. And it was, and again, yeah. and you, and when you have to listen to several of them in a row, it gets fucking exhausting. Like, especially, like a lot of the British bands, again, like, I like uh, my 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 big statement was America and New Zealand did the genre better because like Blake Babies and the Chills over most of these bands any day over like House of Love and the Lightning Seeds and the Laws I was just so tired and they felt like they were all just like melding into one big plate of cold soup or bowl of cold soup but then at the end of that at the end of that jangle pop tunnel here i was exhausted and sad and just being like come on like give me something heavy give me something harsh and then they're like sanchez we have just one more jangle pop record for you i'm like okay fine is it from the us no it's from the uk fuck okay fine i'll listen to it what is it and then it ended up being my favorite thing i discovered in the whole tournament which is Reading, writing, and arithmetic by the Sundays. Yeah, you're on that May course shit right now. <laughs> yes, it was very good record. I was, I was like, this shit gave me chills. Like the way these guys play, the like, she, I forget what her name is, what the singer is, but she has one of the most haunting voices I have ever heard. And these lyrics about like, I don't know, like I, not to get personal, but I relate to being like feeling fucking stuck in your hometown and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I was just like listening to this shit. Like, is she me? Have I been like, you know, like, uh, I was, I don't know. I was just, I absolutely in love with every single fucking track on this record, how they managed to switch everything up, how impossibly tight and yet loose this musicianship was and how she like painted these beautiful pictures with her words. 
this was yeah like spoiler this is my second favorite of 1990 and this was like i listened to it three times and i slapped the old 10 out of 10 on it i was this is um this is very uh very uh validating because i also listened to this i, I think it was back in january mm-hmm. and like i instantly gave it a 10 as well it's just one of those records that's so attuned no it wasn't the genre's fault it, it, it was it was one of those records that was just so immediately attuned to like what i love about jangle pop or what i love in jangle pop and it is so much to do with the presence of the vocalist like yeah i mean the music is fantastic also and very beautiful and dreamy and enrapturing but that almost doesn't matter as much if the vocalist isn't like able to evoke something specific and powerful and captivating in their own right and harriet wheeler yeah. who's the singer in this band is absolutely able thank to you um she's just so just unique and powerful and captivating in the same way that um uh, sue tompkins from life without buildings is or even like the Ooh, even like the comparison. front woman of dry cleaning who i've also been listening to this week has the same quality to the way that she sings um, but yeah, it's it's an amazing, amazing record that I'm super, super stoked that it connected with you the way it did. It's just one of those albums that, like, uh, along with that Primitive Radio God song about standing outside a broken phone booth, I would say that Here's Where the Story Ends is one of the great sort of, like, forgotten singles of the 90s. Yes. Oh, it's that, so fucking that good. song was actually, like, a minor hit when it came out and enough to kind of penetrate like you know alternative radio in the 90s and so it's one of those songs where you kind of like a lot of people have sort of very distant memories of it or they'll know that song even if they don't know the sundays or the album very well and it's also like that in concert with the fact that like the song itself is just such a perfect like piece of like it just sounds like you know inherently nostalgic no matter what your history is or where you've come from it's just one of those perfect songs like that and then you listen to the album and the whole fucking album is like here's where the story ends essentially and it's just it's it's eternal it's one of those records that feels like the first time you hear it that you've known it your entire life in a weird way and then actually getting to you know, actualize it and point to it as a real thing, as opposed to just an ephemeral fucking feeling is very satisfying. All right, let's get into the first of our main reviews for today, which is... The new album from Show Me The Body, Trouble The Water. Show Me The Body. I always love when we get to talk about a band we get to review a new record from a band that's kind of like has not very few actual precedents in anything that we've talked about before like i've never seen the rate your music descriptor synth punk before oh my god okay hey look i could point you towards some great synth punk but that's a discussion for another day um i'm sure <laughs> look i love when we get to talk about a band that where it's like yeah we can try and force comparisons for the sake of like doing our jobs here but really they only sound like show me the body. They have <laughs> different genres that they kind of fuse together and different sounds and instrumentational choices and personalities and whatever. Like you could, like, you know, a- a- an obvious and somewhat cheap comparison that feels, you know, like something that might be common is, you know, you could compare them to like Viagra Boys, maybe to a certain extent. 
but even that feels really really facile it doesn't really get at the unique appeal of what they do and also reduces a lot of their musical it's kind of like you know it's there have been an, a spade of bands and i think and to, to this band's credit they kind of predate all of them there have been a spade of bands and recently i think of that viagra boys record i also think of the gear band record that came out really recently as well where it's like this very particular sort of postmodern sense of humor but and it has this kind of particular focus on real sort of social and progressive issues as well like idols comes to mind as well and the approach is just to be as punishing as possible in the expression of sheer rage and confusion and ultimately bewildering overwhelmingness in that sense the best comparison point in terms of a record that's come out this year is soul glows diaspora problems yeah, which is another album where you know with through its sheer commitment to punk ethos funneled through also it's ostensible hip-hop clothing it gives you something that is a completely refreshing and new take on a particular style of hardcore music essentially and show me the body who've been around since the early 2010s and you know their first record 2016's body war kind of outlined this and sort of set the stage for this with this particular brand of like hardcore music and hip-hop they have ever since then continued to mine this strange and unique fusion of sounds that is can only really be described as show me the body and you know I've never really gotten into this band I've always kind of been aware of them I went back and listened to body body war this week just to kind of remind myself of where they came from I know that Zach our friend Zach is a huge fan of this band as well so it was exciting to finally get a chance to actually spend some time with them and listen to this new record trouble the water which is absolutely incandescent. I mean, this is loud as hell. It's distorted as hell. It is angry, but it's also very, like, it's angry in a way that is, like, it doesn't bludgeon you over the head as violently as something like Soul Glow does, but it really just kind of gets under your skin. I mean, I don't know. How, do, how would you guys describe this? They punch me in the face and sing a country ballad over it or a folk ballad <laughs> over it. Uh, this is the first time I've ever listened to them. I know I knew they were like a pretty fairly beloved recent metal band. I know that they had gotten some acclaim. I knew from the descriptions I had read about them in the past. Uh, they said like, a, oh, they're like rap rock. like, And so I'm like, oh. New metal. Okay, that sounds like some. That sounds like something like interesting. And then I would, and that's where my brain was at at the time. So that's what I initially thought of these guys. And then I listened to their most recent album, and I was like, all right, uh, hit some verses on me. And then I listened to country guitar and Jesus Lizard esque rhythms, and I'm like, ooh, who good are call. these guys? Yeah. Good call. <laughs> yeah that's the um, thing for me I, this week like I, I i haven't spent enough as much time with this record as i would want to i've only listened to it three times which i guess maybe sounds like a good amount but i still haven't really processed it i don't think but part of that is how unique the particular fusions of sounds and influences and also just the distinct idiosyncratic personality of the frontman of this band who is named julian cashwan pratt essentially 
you know his particular like for starters his vocal style is you know it's going to be one of those things where you're immediately turned off it or you're like intrigued he is you know to put put it frankly he's tuneless which is fine yeah. because you know he's a <laughs> punk vocalist right you know you don't expect oh, yeah. fucking you know it's fine to be tone deaf like the whole point is not that you sound good but he particularly leans into the snarly kind of um frequently kind of off-key tonality to his voice that really is going to be like one of those things that you know you need to be able to get used to or you need to be able to enjoy in the context of this music in order to be able to get into this band and what i particularly like a demonic love, combo of alexis marshall and the front man of slayer yeah like what i particularly uh, love is like you have this snarling kind of aggressive angry voice and that is matched with these other sonic incorporations, which are like on paper baffling, but when they're all combined together, makes for something that is legitimately one of the most unique sounds that I can banjos. Think. Yes, the frequent presence yeah. of the banjo and the influence of you know the folk tonality that that brings, but also the synthesizer, sampler, and bass work of Harlan Steed as well, who is you know what one of name. the other key members of this band who he got me a steed. Uh who <laughs> <laughs> who brings to this band such a unique set of like aesthetic signifiers and weird tonalities that makes them even more difficult to kind of wrap your head around the synthesizer work on this album is dirty it is disgusting it is scuzzy it's also frequently just detuned and ugly like it particularly cult of luna synths yeah yeah i mean honestly like cult of luna are too i think tasteful to even really get close to what this band probably but um for instance a a good example of this with these synth tones is radiator the third song on this record ah yes that's it's it's disgusting like it's a fucking it's a black dresses song in the disguise of a sludge metal song it sounds sounds ugh yeah, it sounds like the the buzz of a radiator, honestly. Like I never has a song title been more descriptive. And that's why it rules. Like I'm not saying that as a negative connotation at all. It fucking slams. No, it, it, mm. it really like, and again, I think there are certain similar tonalities on that Soul Glow record as well, which kind of brings it to mind as well. I think of tracks like Dripponomics yeah. and stuff, which was like a fusion of trap and like this really sort of weird harsh noise synth stuff that they do. And like the way in which this band collides those harsh noise textures with proper punk ragers, like we came to play, which you sure did, fellas, because this one, <laughs> this one fucking bumps. Uh, food from plate as well is another huge yeah. standout in that regard. A deep cut favorite of mine is the track Demeanor, which is just like I think one of the catchiest and most memorable songs on this record, one of the snottiest as well. The great thing about this album is that it has a very distinct set of textures that it cycles through, but it never repeats itself, I don't think, even though it acts within a very particular palette, and it is really concise, so it never really outstays its welcome either. I mean, Jake, what do you think, as someone who I I presume was just kind of thrown into this with very little warning? It certainly, like, especially the first track, Loose Talk, I was certainly just sort of like, 
what the hell? But like, that's the thing about this is that this is so designed, you know, it's like a lean 38 minutes. It's 12 songs. None of them are like mm. particularly long. And other than just being like on a quality level, the consistency here is truly marvelous. There's like nothing on here that slacks. There's nothing on here that maybe reaches the heights of say, you know, like a soul glow for instance. But man, if you just want a really sludgy, hardcore punk album here you fucking go this has been one of the easiest like i mean despite the fact that it is abrasive and ass kicking it's just this is one of the easiest album listens for the podcast i've had all year just because it's so easy to throw on and just fuck bang your head to it it's got like there are hooks all over it that I think take advantage of the lead singer's uniqueness by like, you can't not imitate the hooks in his voice. Yeah. And despite not probably being able to match whatever the fuck he sounds like on here, but like, there's just, there's just lots of great fucking pulse pounding moments that also have like the, you know, the, the album sort of adorned in these occasional flourishes of like, folk instruments being implied in a metallic sludgy way which actually reminded me a lot of this is like if tom waits's bone machine was like a sludge punk album and and, you know just like from the you know the monotonous kind of delivery and the sort of affectations that he employs i i get a lot of mileage out of that and I just really, really get along with shit. Like, again, Food From Plate, I think, is a fucking knocker. This this Uh, is a song, right? So to talk about, uh, sorry, not to interrupt, but just to kind of embellish on what you're saying, like, this is a song where the refrain is about fucking stabbing a cop in the face, essentially. It's like, uh, and, and it's like, so we have all these bands, right? We have bands like Idols and Viagra Boys and all that sort of thing. They do this kind of like, it's, it's, postmodern but it's also kind of like d- deliberately kind of blunt and it's all about kind of like this aggression that's channeled into this kind it's of like oh punch a nazi ha, ha, ha. whereas this feels like i feel like when i'm listening to this i i'm listening to someone who genuinely could be capable of anything and it, yeah. it's fucking frightening in some ways as well no and it that's, doesn't feel that's the cool thing about this and soul glow is that when I'm listening to this, it's like when you're listening to this type of music, you know, like the, you know, like leftist radical shit. I don't want softball uh, punch a Nazi shit. I want fucking stab a cop that 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 is exactly the kind of shit that you go for when you're going for like just aesthetically brutal shit like this and you know like it really takes advantage of the fact that it just you know is 38 minutes long by not relenting i think a lot of like uh again a lot of the same uh comparisons that i brought up with um soul glow i can bring up here a lot of black flag a lot of bad brains on here that's yes. just like yeah, right. Like a lot yeah, of I thought of Henry like, Rollins a lot. Really personality-driven, shouty vocals, and there are moments where they kind of you know throw you for a loop a little bit, like on World War Four, which I, I just think is hysterical as a track title, just being like, because you know most bands would be like, oh, we're gonna call the song World War Three, and they're like, no, four motherfucker, and <laughs> it, it starts off really like it, again, it kind of throws you for a loop a little bit there at the start. You're just kind of like what the fuck is this fucking banjo plucking what the 
what the fuck is happening here? And then, I mean, they're going to burst down the door eventually. And once yeah. it gets there, it's supremely satisfying. And that's sort of the, the, the word of the day with this album is that this album is heavily satisfying. If you just need something to kind of thrash about to, the fact that this is eclectic and takes lots of different instruments together and like is kind of weird, it has that same sort of primal urgency that the Zealand Ardor record from this year had, where it's a really unique mm. combination of sounds, but all of them never take spot away from the album's priority, mm. which is to beat your fucking head in. And yeah. as such, I enjoyed it immensely. It's very well paced. It's very consistent. There's a diverse range of instruments. It still gives the impression to me that this is an act that I haven't heard their earlier work, but this is an album that really shows me a lot of promise. I feel like this is something that they can take further and push harder. Like this, it does actually remind me a lot of like daughters without the grind core necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like you can sort of feel like they have a, uh, you can't get what you want like in them perhaps and i'm really eager to see what that might look like down the road yeah the other reference point i thought of as well just in terms of other albums besides the soul glow one that happened to be in my top 10 of the year the chat pile album from a couple of months ago god's country yes yes oh, yeah, yeah, similar yeah, energy on that as well down to the fact that both albums have like a song where it's like most of the music and the heaviness kind of falls away and it's sort mm -hmm. of like you know, in this case, it's the track um, Out of Place, but on that record as well, I think it's the penultimate track, where it's sort yeah. of like a moment of eerie kind of stillness, essentially, and you get these sort of lyrics that feel a little bit more sort of direct and personal, mm -hmm. and like, I don't know, it's hard to describe how this band does it in a way that a lot of the cheaper imitators that we have very much clowned on this year don't, and while I agree that you know, this isn't, I, I don't think this band is kind of realizing their full potential here. I think that there could, I think that this is a record where what I enjoy about it is fairly uniform and, and little yeah. individual moments don't so much stand out as much as what I like about the whole of it. But that said, there are moments I do that do, I think, represent what is so powerful about this band beautifully like one of the most affecting refrains of the year and demeanor when he's singing about i want to feel what i've never felt before and that to demeanor me is, is so like good so much mm. of the implication there is so much more powerful than other things that bands like you know viagra boys or gear band or whoever have tried to express in more you know detailed or obfuscated ways like it's just that moment when he sings that in the chorus is just that is i think the best moment of the entire record like the first time that comes in because it feels it's, like it's super it, potent yeah, yeah absolutely oh, yeah. um yeah it's just a, a, it's a very 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 exciting album it's a very kinetic record it's one that i've liked more each time i've listened to it as well mm -hmm. uh it's maybe in some ways hurt by the fact that some of the broader things that it does aesthetically beyond the specific instrumentation and just more in terms of the the overarching sound impact themes and lyricism are things that this year i've already had delivered to me in forms that i've already fallen so hardly in love with that yeah it's kind of hard when you end up comparing this to them but all the same i think this is a really special record and it may, makes me want to go back and listen to their last album as well 
which a lot of people who I think were middling on this have said is even better. So I am looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to seeing whatever this band gets up to in the future as well. Yeah, like uh, all I have in my notes is basically just, holy Jesus fuck, what the hell? The guitar squeal is so good. Buzz and distortion, uh, yay. They have like uh, pinch harmonics on here that sound like Gojira riffs. It's fucking gnarly ooh, as fuck. Oh, I know yeah. exactly what you mean, actually. That's a very good way of describing them. Yeah, I love, love, I just, the, love I, that. Even if like, you know, this, even if the songwriting and overarching kind of album holistic construction all that yada 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 stuff doesn't fully connect on the highest level like i would want it to there's so much about this record that is distinct and unique to it sounds sonics templates aesthetics all these sorts of things that i haven't heard anywhere else this year and i really really value that and and i mean honestly to be honest i wouldn't be surprised if this continues to rise in my estimation uh with a little bit more time to settle with it because like i said i only heard it three times both of those have been in the last couple of days so i just need to let this one breathe a little bit more but it gets a definite recommendation you gotta let the body show itself to you yes hey Mm-hmm. all right well favorite tracks and ratings theme for trouble the water jake you go first my three favorite tracks gotta be i'm gonna say food from plate is an eternal banger um and then i'll say i really love the one-two punch of demeanor and using it i think that's maybe like the the three track run there at the end of demeanor through world war four is where the album is at its best for me um and least fa- i really don't have one there's nothing here that kind of stands out as being noticeably weaker than anything else so i don't really have a least favorite track and uh i give this a really really hearty strong seven out of ten uh if you want something to just knock a bit to this will do the job absolutely my three favorite tracks are loose talk radiator and demeanor uh least favorites is yeah i don't i don't really know if i have one either i guess maybe like buck 50 maybe i i honestly don't know i even really like out of place even though that one's been a little bit shed on and some of the reviews i've seen i actually like that as a centerpiece so yeah uh, I'm going to give this album a seven also. Jacob. Uh, favorite tracks on here. Uh, Food from Plate, Radiator, World War Four. Least favorite. Um, I think the only one that like kind of just blended into the background for me, I'm, I'm going to say it was maybe Boils Up. That one I don't remember too much from. And this is going to get, I'll, I'll give it an eight out of 10. All this right. is, I, I really enjoyed this. Sick. Well, that gives us an average of 7.3 for Show Me the Bodies, Trouble the Water. All right, let's get into our second review of the day, which is, of course... The new album from Backwash. His happiness shall come first, even though we are suffering. Backwash, of course, being the Zambian-Canadian rapper artist figure of the friend of the jams and tea podcast definite jams and tea podcast associate she's been lovely in endorsing 
and responding very positively to the reviews that we've done of her in the past and so it's and of course you know being mutuals as well with some of us is is something that is really really cool and just something that doesn't often happen and also just someone who is you know in the online hellscape that twitter can be is always a really kind of refreshing and uh I would say vibrant presence, especially, which yes. I think is maybe a funny word to use to describe uh, Backwash's Twitter presence because <laughs> her music is so just relentlessly dour and just brutal in ways that really take it out of you. Like every record that she's put out really has that just exhaustingness to it. And so it's worth noting that this record, which is the third record in a trilogy, uh, which I guess the most obvious unifying notion being that long ass run on sentence titles, album titles, <laughs> which are all fucking sick as hell, by the way. Yeah. Oh, um, 100%. But yeah, the first album in this trilogy, 2020's God, has nothing to do with us. Leave them out of it. We reviewed that on the very second episode of the show, way back when it came out, very positively. And I remember the tone of that being like, God, there's some great songs here, but this is just like, she. I know she's going to level up. And that was exactly what she did with last uh-huh. year's I Lie Here Buried with my rings and my dresses, which remains one of my favorite albums of that year. Definitely one of my favorite hip hop records of that year. And here we That have... one's a hell of a grower, honestly. Absolutely. I have listened to the title track on that album so many. That is literally like, that is hands down one of the best hip hop songs of the decade. And it's barely yes. going to be dethroned. It is, it is so fucking hard ada rook screams on that or just yeah. fucking oh uh, god the fuck. second verse on that track is like some of the best lyrics i've heard period this beautiful decade. shit yeah amazing second favorite Great album record. of the year of that year yeah, yeah. amazing amazing <laughs> record I, I i very much stand by what we said about it last year and if anything my fondness for it has only grown and Ditto. so now we're here with his happiness shall come first even though we're suffering which arrived fittingly on halloween and so i mean it's actually more recent than most of what we typically review because it's actually been out only for about four or five days at the time we record this so it's absolutely something we've had to consume and process in a very short amount of time but i mean backwash's music as per usual is very immediate it is slap you in the fucking face hard although i will say I feel that one of the things that I've thought while listening to this is that though it's not particularly any longer than the last record necessarily or uh, more musically sophisticated or whatever in any way, I felt there's a density to this uh, compared to the previous two records, subject matter-wise, thematically, but also even in just the overall uh, sound palette and aesthetic that has definitely made it something that genuinely i've struggled to process uh i i I don't mean that in a way where i'm kind of like couching some kind of criticism i'm not at all it's just been a lot to take in and what i like about this is that for the most part um backwash has kind of moved away from these sort of like shorter tracks that she'll often have sort of interstitial moments kind of blending and and pushing Uh, and connecting ideas together and you have what is essentially a series of four or five minute songs across this record with a couple of shorter ones but for the most part you're really being immersed within these individual pockets of oppressive sound and it's 
there's a density to the experience of that that is really overwhelming, but also as well, uh, Backwash, I think quite deliberately, is adopting more consistent one note, and I don't say that in a derogatory way, but more sort of like homogenous flows and delivery styles here. Uh, it's Everything is very kind of moderate, and the delivery of everything is very sort of like it's slowly paced in a way that makes every beat and every syllable hit with this just incomprehensible weight. It feels so oppressive at every given moment in a way that her previous albums have frequently felt, but here it's like the entire way through. I feel like it never really, you know, speeds up or adopts a kind of you know, aesthetic of being like particularly pummeling in a in a in a in an aggressive way, but it's just very consistently brutal, and that brutality has made it feel like the most grueling experience that Backwash has put to tape yet. I think it's a really tough record to just process. What do you guys think? Yeah. Cards on the table, not by a lot it's probably going to get the same score that I gave to I Lie Here Buried. But I personally think this is Backwash's best album so far. Um, a couple of reasons is that, A, I think, really do you get the benefit of seeing an artist develop with such a clear trajectory than you do with Backwash? Just seeing her go from starting off with uh, that first record of hers, which it wasn't her first record, which is technically deviancy, but God has nothing to do with this is like, that's an album that is like very much a hip hop album with some horrorcore aesthetics, but it's like, it feels as though it's very much sticking to the fundamentals of its genre. And I think the cool thing about I Lie Here Buried is that it took on the aesthetics of metal really, really strongly and developed a kind of atmosphere that her previous music didn't quite have. And that's what gave it sort of a leg up. And not to mention, Backwash just has such a great fucking iron grip on the idea of the construction of an album. And like, even as far back as God has nothing to do with this, which is, you know, a scant 19 minutes, it's still a project that flows immaculately. That was one of the albums that I listened to the most that year, just because it was infinitely consumable in a way that complemented the material. And even though like uh, I Lie Here Buried was a little bit longer, that sense of flow and tight pacing was still very well preserved there. And it's still a relatively short record. And this is her longest so far, which is again, really not saying all that much considering it's still less than 40 minutes long. But even then, I still appreciate what she brings to the table in terms of setting everything up, pacing everything. And I think that moderation and care that Riley spoke to is really felt here. And that's why listening to this has felt like such a treat um namely uh the show-stopping moment here like the show-stopping moment on i lie here buried for me is the technical opener uh, uh vibanda which is <laughs> Ooh, yeah, utterly fucking 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 this this bitch is cutting out cutting up mozart on this like, when, when she samples lacrimosa i like literally like i dropped my phone at work i was just like <laughs> Oh, oh, hell yes. And not to mention, this has one of 
her best constructed hooks the i confess i'm a mess i'm a dog i'm a pest i need help i'm possessed god her fucking delivery on here is so good punk in like the most like aesthetically it's like punk in the realest sense which is that like it's one fucking flow like it's just a bam 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 there's like one note that she's kind of like you know the one cadence that she's performing with and it's just super minimal but it's just beaten into you again and again and again and that sort of all and over and over and over and over moving rhythmically to this shit and it just and like the verses are fucking fantastic just like her like as a lyricism she's never not been on top of things she's combined the sort of you know her you know experience as you like in the modern day world as a black trans woman but also like very uniquely in the sense that it feels like unfiltered id there's no sense of like anything else other than just the feelings and distress and pure one-to-one communication that you get that these feelings create in her there's the fucking the first verse on vibanda let it be known if there's ever death in these poems i'm settling the onus on with perfect performance and settled the score like Lecter and Co. And it's like leather to jaw with metal and saws. That, like, oh. the biggest, the biggest, like, comparison point for her flow, her deliveries, her lyricism, the meter in her words here, it's MF Doom. She sounds like Daniel Dumoulay across this whole thing. And hell, there's one song later in the track list that just straight up, it, it just feels like an MF Doom song, beaten all. And that <laughs> sense of, like, confidence really pulls through here and there was like one or two times on I Lie Here Buried where I feel like the beats while good didn't quite measure up to backwash as a performer and I don't really have that problem with his happiness and while the sort of first half of the record does like is consistently great mind you beats and all fantastic shit it does kind of live in the shadow of Ibanda but man Juju through Mukazi, the basically the entire like second half of this record. Oh, holy shit! It yeah. does not stop being fantastic. And the thing, well, first of all, uh, Juju, just in general, is again Absolute one of the out. best hip hop yeah. songs of the yeah. year. Amazing. The, I mean, the flows on here, the guest uh, for um, uh, Gais Guevara, and yeah. uh, you know, yes. again. All collaborations uh, with Michael Go are absolutely appreciated because they never yield anything but phenomenal results. But um, that that that's a fantastic song with again, yeah, great. Like any time, like metal aesthetics are on this album, it feels pummeling in all the ways you'd want it to in many ways like the show me the body album Mm. but to me one of the most impressive things about this is that it really does feel like a great capping off of this trilogy because it feels like a synthesis of the best things about the previous two records and that is uh, God has nothing to do with this. The writing on that album, I feel like, was really patently like naked and emotional. Like the final song on that record was something that really stuck with us. That was one of the best songs of the year on our uh, end of the year list. Uh, Sersha spoke very beautifully on it. And 
there was no shortage of emotional content on I Lie Here Buried, but again, it was very much like in one mode. Whereas here, I feel like you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get the fully fleshed out aesthetic sensibilities of the previous record, and you get the sort of raw honesty of the first one. You get like a little bit of both, but one of the standout moments on here to me is kind of the closer, uh, mm. Mukazi. I don't know what it is about the combination of like the the beat on here, the delivery. It's kind of made me tear up a little bit. It's an like, emotional the, song. I mean, like, I mean, it really they is. All it's, are, it's, but this is like a, it's it's a tr it's like a tribute to the people and the things in her life that have kept her going. And it just like as a conclusion yeah. to the trilogy talking, as well. Talking to a younger version of yourself and telling them like <laughs> you know that it's not going to be as bad as you thought it was going to be, even though there's still like hardship ahead. I mean, especially from somebody like backwash is just innately supremely powerful. And with the kind of, again, MF doom esque beat that's going on here with the sort of sampled yeah. vocals, it just creates a real feeling of triumph that while, you know, backwash maybe didn't come out of these trials and tribulations unscathed. She came out, stronger and and more accomplished as an artist and that that was what really took me off guard is that like she actually said on twitter the other day that she thinks that this is her best uh album from like a production standpoint and i agree with that i think that there are lots of moments like vibanda especially is a song where like the atmospherics of it kind of feel you know you might take them for granted because it's so hard hitting but just the sort of distant echoing tones that are on parts of that song and again the the lacrimosa vocals just make it feel like it's taking place in the center of a giant gothic chapel and gothic is a great yeah. word to describe the overriding aesthetic of this there's a sense of like pomp and circumstance that this album has that's like really dramatic and it feels like it has this weight to it in a way that makes me think of uh the trajectory of an artist like Dalek who I've been listening to this year who she has said multiple times is influence on her I feel like the last album is very much her absence and this album feels very much like her uh from Filthy Tongues of Gods and Griots where it's sort of blending everything that they were doing before into a more well synthesized package and it just it flows so well it's so hard hitting this is just like it's 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 nipping at the heels of Billy Woods for my hip hop album of the year. It's it's so goddamn close. And who knows? By the end of the the very end of the year, it might actually be there. But I I truly think this is an astonishing release. It's fucking amazing. Absolutely. Um, obviously, all her music has an intensity to it, right? But this the intensity of this record and the kind of continually pummeling nature of it is something that I think leans into a huge strength of backwash and something that makes her very distinct and potent as a performer. One of the critiques I've seen of her performance style is that uh, she has, you know, I've seen people say that she has somewhat limited range in terms of how she can deliver vocals but i think that it's less about having limited range and more about having this particular style of this again very very punk ethos inspired i would say and very deliberate impactful cadence where every single word has to feel like a fucking bullet to the head essentially in order to make that work there has to be this methodical slow pace to the way that she delivers these vocals and it really creates this grinding 
and it embellishes the industrial aspects to what she does as well and it's so well suited as well to her particular production style to the way that she creates these really dense arrangements of sound and of course incorporates samples in really creative and just instantly iconic yeah. ways like all three of her records in this trilogy like have iconic samples on them and it's like this little motif that she comes back to and each time she uses a sample it feels like it it relates to her distinct identifies an aspect of the thematics of the record that makes it make sense all right so having the particular sample here be mozart's requiem on vivanda i think is telling in terms of where this trilogy is at at this particular point how intense and how kind of brutal the discussions of suicidality are on this record as well the discussions of violence mm -hmm. are on this record the discussions of violent urges as well and the kind of uh, instinctive kind of like built-in sense of violence that you have that you have to reckon with as well the relationship between violence and performances of masculinity versus femininity violence and you know existing as a queer person existing as a minority in any different sense as well the relationship you have with violence as you grow up into that but also the relationship with you that you have with violence personally as a response to that it's there's a lot about that that is there's a lot of that in this lyric in the lyricism on this record and i mean i could be here and i would need more time and i would need more focus to really kind of unpack that on a song by song basis but ultimately what i would be doing is just repeating backwash's words for her it, it's a very exciting and potent building upon of the sorts of themes and ideas and aesthetics that backwash has laid out for herself and i absolutely agree as well that it shows her talent as a producer as well continuing to expand uh, it doesn't have the resonance and immediacy with me at the moment that the last record has but again that may well be a product of time as it may well be with the show me the body album i will say as well you know some of the most reliable things that are always going to you know endear this record to me given how much i love the previous one the recurrence of features as well like one of my favorite maybe definitely a top three favorite thing of that last album was the censored dialogue feature on dialogue. Oh, and yes, they're back yes, here yes. again on this record as well just absolutely brutal performance absolutely love it again the guys guevara feature i mean that's another artist that's really come to the fore this year and released the kind of what feels like a very love definitive him. statement for love them him. so yeah it's just it's i mean it's it's more of what you would want for a backwash except it's heavier it's grimier it's more punishing and i don't think i could ask for anything more than that really again this record also just has lyrically some of the most hard-hitting shit i've heard all year i keep thinking of the second verse in vibanda put the bow in the casket, decompose into blackness, figured out. First off, I just love that pun, decompose into blackness, figured <laughs> out as this like, <laughs> as this absolute, um, you know, as Lacrimosa is playing and she is, you know, singing about trying to get to heaven and yet being rejected as a fucking requiem is playing. Like I was just like, holy Shit, yeah, yeah. I kept De decompose. Oh, decomposing. That's, that's almost eye rolling, but <laughs> I appreciate it's, it. I I think it's perfect. I love you know me. I was gonna say I Jacob's the, the pun lord. You can't help but yeah. appreciate that shit. I'm not yeah. the I'm not the pun lord. I'm pun trash. Uh, <laughs> not, those are not mutually exclusive. Hey -oh. 
<laughs> but anyways, no, and I want to shout out, speaking of features, I want to shout out my favorite feature on the record, which comes from Pupil Slicer, which is a band I never even yes. heard of until this record, with yeah. one of the best fucking band names of all time. Right? I just, the hook sounds like it's literally melting uh, her voice, so like uh, Kate, I believe is the singer. She sounds like, like she is melting like right in front of you. And I just, and like with the combination of the guitars, I was just, oh, like I was, just, I felt like, again, like I was being like severely beaten down and like loved it, loved it. Like, and then you have Sadistic who's rapping about killing the Pope and like turning it into like <laughs> a religious killing to like show his dominance over God. And um, one of the highlights on the record is track eight and Fwitty. Uh, which is a 98 time signature. And uh, she, I remember her saying she, this was one of the most fun for her to write. I think she said that on Genius because like she was trying to stay within, you know, this very complex and time signature that doesn't make sense. And I think she does it like it's this very creative experimental flow. And um, uh, that was one of the, easily one of the highlights of the record for me. But also I want to talk about Komodo which is the darkest song on the record to yeah. me because it's the one of the first that like, not the first to like look at internal struggle, but the first to like, one of the, at least on the record to look at her own evil deeds about how, you know, she yeah. felt that she had betrayed this friend. And I was, again, very much floored by that. I was walking while listening to this record and listening it's, to these lyrics and me literally stopping in my tracks. It's such a vivid depiction of drug addiction as well. And yeah. like the way in which, mm. you know, obviously the the psychological impacts of reliance and, and um, you know, withdrawal and all that sort of stuff, but also just the physicality of the way that she describes that addiction and the you know the places that it takes her essentially the the ways in which she feels and the actual bodily experiences that she's going through it's visceral yeah her description of skinniness too that was what really uh stood out to me on that song but that but having that be arguably the darkest song on the record and then follow it up with Mukazi, which is this, it's a, it's a song of like pure acceptance and love. That's what makes it so, hit so much harder for me. And I was looking up what Mukazi means and in Luganda, it means woman. And so like, this is a full, you know, acceptance, finally like moving on from a dark and traumatic childhood and finally feeling happy and free. And that's what I love about that final song. Uh, this was such a, such a treat. I, and Mukazi, Mukazi may be one of my very, very favorite songs of the year. I love that beat. And you were right. Like I was reminded of Doom and Madlib from that, from the way she flew that soul sample. And because like, and with that flow, I think that I would say that she feels that as an MC, she's started to join the ranks of these legends. And I would honestly agree. I, three albums in and we have not had a single miss. I, I, I am always constantly excited for her. And to the person who's watching who has not gotten into backwash yet, start immediately. 10 years from now she is going to be recognized as one of the greats you like crawl on your knees to her fiery altar it's worth it do it 
like admittedly this is obviously going to be stuff i'm going to be into just because i'm a fucking queer horror obsessed metal nerd who also likes hip-hop it's not just that those aesthetics are found in backwatch's music but like her music is about those things it's not just a signifier or or a choice that is implemented in style it's it's about substance and it's about applying these things there's lots of you know media that's coming up i feel like riley you've talked about this at some point um this year during like the podcast with movies that that are coming out like um cronenberg's crimes of the future and stuff there's just like there's so much music and media and movies that are taking a really interesting introspective look at our relationship to horror and sexuality and how those things sort of intersect in a way that feels a little bit more incisive and contemporary and I feel like Backwash's music is like right up there with the best of them like portraying a very raw experience that feels so indicative of the moment and just seeing her career kind of take off and rise and her like I mean her like follower count on Twitter has fucking exploded since fucking uh, 2020 and just seeing that has been so fucking satisfying. So I'm, I'm very pleased to see that this development uh, has happened that she's been able to continue this amazing streak. She's an artist who feels like she has limitless potential to, to just like she'll either keep making records that are of this quality and of this standard or she could experiment and end up becoming an even more adventurous and cool artist and either way fucking awesome killer can't fucking wait Alrighty. well favorite tracks and rating then for this latest backwash album jacob why don't you go first this time uh my three favorite tracks on here i'm gonna say vibanda I am going to say Komodo and I am going to say Mukazi, my least favorite track, even though I really like every song on here. My, I'd say least favorite would probably be Mulungu due to its, I guess maybe its length. Shout out to the St. Maud reference though. That was, that was a good <laughs> uh, And um, I am going to give this, this is a nine. Uh, I, I, I would give this a nine. Great. All righty. My three favorite tracks are Vibanda, uh, Zigolo, and Juju. Uh, my least favorite track, if I had to pick one, I suppose Malungu, yes, is, is the obvious pick. Um, but yes, it's a stellar record. Uh, don't be fooled by my rating. I think this is very great and will probably continue to grow on me. I'm going to give it an emphatic 7.5. Jake. All right. Well, just in case I didn't make it abundantly clear before, Vibanda, hip hop song of the year. That's my favorite song on here. Um, closely followed by uh, the cathartic release of Mukazi. And uh, I'll say for the third track, the inventive awesomeness of Juju. Um, least favorite, uh, I'll follow in the stead of my podcast mates and say Mulongu, but really that's just. A moment that serves a more structural purpose than to be a moment in and of itself. We've been talking about the fucking White Album earlier. We got to acknowledge that shit. Um, and I've I've been sitting on an eight point five all week, and I I I'm, nope. I feel it. It's a nine. Um, and I'm going to say that this is my hip hop album of the year, uh, unless somebody wants to drop 
uh, that in the next two months, I doubt it will be disputed. Um, balls in your corner, Brockhampton. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Ooh. Okay, well, that gives us an average of 8.5 for backwashes. His happiness shall come first, even though we are suffering. Let us know at home what you think of either of the albums we've discussed today, the new Backwash record or the new Show Me the Body record. Let us know, of course, what you would like for us to review in the coming weeks as well. Let us know what you think of any of the music we've discussed today. Make sure that you, if you enjoyed this discussion, please give the video a like and subscribe if you haven't already. Both of those things help us a lot to be able to continue doing this. Remember as well that if you want to support us directly and become a member of the Jams and Tea family, you can hit the join button and for just $1 a month, you get your name featured in the title call of every video on this channel. Plus, if you want to recommend us some music to talk about, your recommendation will go to the top of the pile. As always, though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Ajax, stronger than dirt. <laughs>